<laughs> my son-in-law and my daughter are here from Texas. He's a UT grad. They have a new coach. That's what he's excited about. Amen. Uh, Longhorns. We're, all, we're glad that they're here today. My grandson Luca is in the congregation. He's uh, actually going to be where you can see him in January. <laughs> but... Um, yeah, I knew last night when the Seminoles and the Gators took the field, I was going to have some people who were disappointed today, one way or the other. It just happens that way, doesn't it? You know, it's terrible when your worship spirit takes on whatever the SEC is doing. <laughs> Amen? Now, many of you know what it's like to be a Jaguar fan, too. That's uh, kind of tough, isn't it? So let's talk about the Cowboys. We could talk. No, I'm just kidding. All right. We're glad all of you are here. We got a lot of college uh, kids home, young adults home, and, and we're glad you're here today. Uh, let's remember to pray for them as they go off to school and uh, keep them in our prayers. We love you. We do. We're so glad you're here. So good to have all of our guests with us today as well. We're in the uh, second week of a series that we're calling CrossFit. Now, if you are a fitness fanatic, you know what CrossFit means in the fitness world. It's an intense workout designed to give you uh, physical health. But in the spiritual realm, for, our, for the sake of our sermon series, it's an intense look at the cross of Christ that we might gain some spiritual health from. Last week, we talked about what the scripture means when it says, on the cross. And in our outlines, we talked about the sign that was seen on the cross. We talked about the son who was slain on the cross and the sin that was satisfied on the cross. Today we're going to look at the second of five prepositional phrases that form our whole series. And that is, in the cross. That's our topic today, in the cross. And for that, I'd like for you to join me in the book of Galatians and the sixth chapter. And this is going to be our main verse, verse 14, in just a moment. Galatians 6, verse 14. Later in the series, we will also cover the phrases of the cross by the cross, and through the cross. And so we hope that you're with us for all of those. Um, I just, uh, I've, I've been led of the Lord to focus on this. And last week, just to bring you, bring you up on a little bit, since many of you were unable to be with us uh, due to traveling, we, we mentioned the words scourging and crucified. Do you remember that, those of you that were with us? And, and the reason that I bring that up to you is that Last week we further defined those so that when you heard those terms or when you read those terms, you wouldn't just go past them. That you would understand that, that the scourging of our Lord Jesus Christ was literally the ripping away of his flesh and the tissue from the bone. It was a horrible, horrible beating and he did that for us. So that you might not just read it and just pass over it. Crucifixion, when we talk about uh, crucifixion. The, the cross was meant for death and uh, for us it is a symbol of life that has been found through the death of our Lord Jesus Christ. So last week we, we mentioned that. Today when we talk about the cross I want you to consider those terms that we just mentioned and what Jesus did. It's so important that we understand what the cross means. It, it's more than just something we wear. It's more than just a symbol of, of Christianity. It, it is a place where Jesus gave his all for us. And yes, I don't want to leave him there. I know they buried the Lord Jesus and I know he rose from the dead. But I want to tell you something. What he did on that cross, we cannot and should not forget. 
and let us not wander far, far from it. And so just before we read this text, let me, uh, uh, let me uh, ask the Lord's blessings in prayer. Would you do that with me? Let's pray together. Father, we are grateful for this day. We thank you, God, for each one that's here. Lord, it is so good to see our, our college uh, young people home uh, for the holidays. And God, I pray your blessings on them as they travel back as missionaries, Lord, to their uh, respective schools and help them, Lord, to be a light that shines for you and bless them in every way. God, we ask now that you bless this message. Father, as we look at the cross and what it means to boast in the cross, help us, Lord, to gain understanding. We pray that your Holy Spirit will be our teacher and our guide. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Now, I, I will tell you that I have foregone my, uh, my annual uh, message directly after Thanksgiving on gluttony, so you don't have to worry about that. You're not going to... We're not going to talk about eating too much, although I would like to find out how many of you are honest. How many of you will say you did, you just ate too much this past, okay, all right. I did real well with the food part, but the pie part got me, I got to admit. <laughs> I, I overdid it a little, uh, even for me on the ready whip, and that's hard to do, I'm telling you. It was rough. Pumpkin pie, can I get an amen for pumpkin pie? Yeah, yeah it's good stuff, it's good stuff. All right. Galatians chapter number 6 and verse 14. Would you look there with me? Let me read this verse to you and then what we're going to do, let me just tell you in advance. We're going to go back to verse 1 because it's always important. May I encourage you to remember this. Always important when you read a verse of scripture that you see the context with which it finds itself. It's important for us to read the rest of what is around that verse as well and, and gain a better understanding. But this is a great verse of scripture. Paul the Apostle says to the church of Galatia, But God forbid that I should boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. There's that phrase now, in the cross. God forbid that I should boast except in in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. Now let's pause just a moment. In the cross, he said, I will boast in the cross. Now, what does it mean to boast? Well, most of us are familiar with, with that term. To vaunt is the way uh, that Greek word is described. To, to uh, speak of something which brings you great joy, great pleasure. Now, in most of our cases, we boast about stuff we have done. Uh, if we're honest with ourselves, pride sometimes plays a part in that and the old flesh gets involved. Now, Paul the Apostle on another occasion, I think this is important that we remember, in Philippians chapter 3, Paul starts talking about around verse 4, he says, if you want to boast about things in the flesh, I got some things I can boast about. And he starts rattling off stuff, kind of an uh, interesting uh, uh, list of achievements. And so let me, let me pause a moment and say this, that what he's doing in this chapter is he's reminding us that it's not about what we have done, it is about what Christ has done. That's where our focus needs to be. And if you're going to boast in anything, don't boast in the fact that you found Jesus, boast in the fact that he was looking for you a long time before you ever noticed. Boast in the fact that he forgave you of your sin, not that you have attained some level of righteousness. Boast in what he has done, not in what we have done. So this term is a very interesting term. 
And to better understand it, let's go back to the very first verse. And if you have a study sheet with you, and I hope that you do, uh, in that uh, study sheet you're going to find uh, a place that you can take uh, and write down four main points. I'm going to go ahead and give you the first one, and then we're going to read beginning in verse 1. Our approach today is that as a person who learns to boast in the cross, we are people who, number one, restores the wanderer restores the wanderer. Now what do we mean by that? Well let's look at the verse first and then we'll, we'll exposit it a little bit. Verse number one, Galatians 6. Brethren, if a man is overtaken in any trespass, you who are spiritual, restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness, considering, your, considering yourself, lest you also be tempted. Now let, let's stop for a moment. There's some words here we need to uh, elaborate, we need to define, we need to talk about a little bit. Let's begin with the word overtaken. The Bible says if there's a person who's been overtaken in any trespass, in the Old English the term fault is used. If there's a person that's been overtaken by a fault, well what does that word overtaken mean? In the Greek it literally means to have been surprised by. To have been attacked before you were able to flee. So I want you to get this picture. Have you ever suddenly fallen into doing something you know you shouldn't have done? You ever found yourself uh, walking through life and all of a sudden now, boom, you've fallen into some sort of a sin that maybe before used to give you trouble. You encounter temptation because the devil is always out to lay something in your path, always a snare before you that tries to catch you. So the Bible says and uses that word overtaken. Those who have been caught by surprise and fallen into uh, a state that is contrary to living for Christ. And then the Bible uses the phrase spiritual. You who are spiritual, restore. Now I want to say this to you because I think it's important. In the day and age that you and I live in, I believe this term has been downplayed. And we need to stop and realize what Paul is trying to say. By what the Holy Spirit has given to him, he tells us that we who are spiritual. Now, now what does that mean? It, obviously, we don't run around and I'm not going to ask you if you're spiritual, please stand. I'm not going to do that. But, uh, uh, but the truth of the matter is, somewhere we need to understand what this word means. And I'm afraid that because we live in a world where we seek to be so relevant and we seek to be so um, um, reaching of others that, that we forgot that we're supposed to try to, to do things in our life that bring us to a next level, to the next level. The word spiritual literally means to have your life governed by the Spirit of God. That's what it means. So I ask you this question today, and please don't answer it out loud. Is your life governed by the Spirit of God? Now let me stop for a moment and say this. It ought to be. It ought to be. So then how do we get there if we would answer that to ourselves and say, no, really it's not. I wouldn't call my life governed by the Spirit of God. Then how do we get there? Because I'm afraid what's happened is we've become complacent and satisfied where we are. Now here's the problem. The next, the next word that I need you to see is the word restore. So when we notice that someone has been snared, taken by surprise and fallen into sin, then we who are spiritual, those of us who are uh, attempting and with some moderate success because of what Christ has done, not because of what we have done, we've attained this level of being governed by the Spirit of God. We walk to what the Spirit of God is leading us. We are led by the Spirit of God. If that is us, then we're supposed to do something. We're supposed to restore the other people. 
So I ask you a simple question. How can you bring them to where you are not? Even among leadership in the modern day church, we have downplayed this to where instead of bringing others out of the ditch, we have gone into the ditch and we have stayed in the ditch and we think that's spirituality. Because you drink, I drink. Because you cuss, I cuss. Because you do, I do. And that's relevant Christianity. It's not what the Bible teaches. It's what a lot of people practice, but it's not what the Bible teaches. Amen? Is this too real? I mean, you tell me if I get too real, I'll stop. Because you know how I like to accommodate. You see? You say, what are you getting at, preacher? I'm saying those who are spiritual are supposed to do something. What are they supposed to do? Restore. The word restore in the Greek, this same phrase refers to the restoration of a limb that has been caught out of joint or taken out of joint. I remember uh, sitting on the sidelines watching my son's football game uh, many years ago in the state of Texas and we were there and and a young boy on his team had his shoulder uh, out out of joint in a play and he comes over, he was not not able to move his, his arm, he comes over and he sits down and I was not seated too far behind the bench and I remember uh, the uh, therapist coming up and sliding his his hand up underneath the pads and taking him on the back and popping that shoulder into place I could hear it from where I was sitting and what the Bible is saying here is those of us who are governed by the Spirit of God need to help those who have fallen by the way of surprise in their life and we need to try to gently restore them back to the place where they're supposed to be. Now, there's a lot of stuff that happens with this thing and I, I can't get it across to you, I, I admit. And I, I've asked the Holy Spirit to help me. It's difficult for us to understand because sometimes the person with the limb out of joint doesn't want it put back in joint. Huh? And they say things like, don't touch me. Leave me alone. Who are you to touch me? You think you're better than I am. Well, I got both my arms working. Amen? (laughs) It's not a matter of somebody being better. When you're boasting in the cross, it's about what he has done for me, not what I have done. When we get that part right, it becomes easier to help others reach the level that they should be going for and going after. And it becomes a restoration kind of ministry. The Bible says, and Paul said uh, in this chapter, he said... uh, Uh, considering yourself lest you also be tempted. You know, were it not for the grace of God, the same thing would happen to us that's happened to them. Were it not for the grace of God, I'm going to tell you, I'm capable of it. I can do that. There's no question about that. But because of the grace of God, at least for right now, I'm in a position of trying to help you out. And I hope if I fall in, you'll help me out next time. Does that make sense? Verse number two, bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. For if anyone thinks himself to be something when he is nothing, he deceives himself. But let each one of you examine his own work and then he will have rejoicing in himself alone and not in another. For each one shall bear his own load. So the scripture says, look, here's what you do. If you're going to glory in the cross, if you're going to boast in the cross, 
then you keep in focus that part of what we do is we try to allow the Holy Spirit to govern us. We try to attain that next level uh, of following the Lord so that we can then turn around and help restore others who are struggling and fall by the wayside. And we lift up others. We do not bring ourselves down to the point that that's as far as we can go. And so I challenge our leadership in our church. I challenge those who hold positions in our church. Are you one who goes down and joins or are you one who lifts up where you are? You'll never lead where you yourself are not. You'll never lead where you yourself are not. Now that one got me in trouble, Joby. So you, you pray for me. Okay. First time's okay. Second time's you're, you're ranting. No. <laughs> All right. So, uh, so let me move on with you. Somebody said amen. amen. All right. Number, number two on our list. Not only does uh, a person who learns to boast in the cross restore the wanderer, but secondly, they reap good works. So number two in our notes is one who reaps good works. Now, what do we mean by that? Well, let's pick up in verse, uh, verse number six. If you're in verse six, say amen. amen. Let him who has taught the word share in all good things with him who teaches. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever a man sows, that he will also reap. Now, now let me explain. That is a principle. Yes. Yes. That is not a proverb. There's a difference. When you read over in the book of Proverbs, you need to be able to distinguish the difference between a proverb and a principle. A principle is true all of the time. A proverb is true most of the time. A principle in the word of God is that you will sow whatever you reap. I mean, you will reap whatever you sow. I guess the other is true too, isn't it? You're going to reap whatever you sow. And verse number eight. For he who sows to his flesh will of the flesh reap corruption. But he who sows to the spirit will of the spirit reap everlasting life. And let us not grow weary while doing good. For in due season we shall reap if we do not lose heart. Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all, especially to those who are of the household of faith. Well, there's a lot said in that text, but let me back up for a moment and just talk about what I think this, this principle means. It's pretty simply put, that if you want to reap good, then you sow good. Amen. Whatever you want to reap, that is what you need to Focus in on sowing because that's what's going to happen. That's, what's gonna, that's what you're going to bring forth. There's a wonderful uh, story told in the Bible of a young girl named Tabitha. Not a young girl. She's a, an older woman actually named Tabitha. We find her in Acts chapter 9 and verse number 36. And let me read to you a little bit. At Joppa there was a certain disciple named Tabitha, which is translated Dorcas. This woman was full of good works and charitable deeds which she did. Now let me pause a moment. That's really all we know about this woman. She is written in the word of God because she did good. When we read the life of Jesus and we study the life of Jesus, do you know what it is said about Jesus? He went about doing good. Don't underestimate doing good and continuing to do good. As Christians, that's what we're supposed to be doing. The Bible says it in many ways, such as let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. So let me, let me just say, don't underestimate just doing good 
And so here she is. The Bible tells us that she went about uh, doing good. And, and verse 37, but it happened in those days that she became sick and died. When they had washed her, they laid her in the upper room. And since Lydda was near Joppa and the disciples had heard that Peter was there, they sent two men to him imploring him not to delay in coming to them. Then Peter arose and went with them. Now I find this interesting because Peter, he's obviously traveling around, he's preaching, he's, he's dealing with people. He's one of the pastors of a church that by this time is running somewhere perhaps around 70,000. And somehow in their mind they're thinking it would be perfectly fine with him if somebody goes and gets him and brings him to meet Tabitha for this funeral service. And he comes. I find this very interesting. He comes. And he arrives. And, 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 and the Bible tells us this wonderful story. How that when he arrives he had come. They brought him to the upper room. And all the widows stood by him weeping. Showing the tunics, tunics and, and garments which Dorcas had made while she was with them. So they're all standing around. They don't ask him to bring her back. They're just saying, it's so sad what's happened here today. Look at what she's done for us. Look at all the good that she has done. But then something happens. He takes and, and he turns everybody out. The Bible says, verse 40, but Peter put them all out and knelt down and prayed. I find this interesting because in today's world, we'd be live streaming and we'd be uh, getting cable networks and news all out and trying to show everybody what's going on in this room. But that's not what Peter did. Peter put everybody out. You know why? Because he didn't glory in what he did. He was like Paul. He learned to glory in what Christ could do. So here he is praying. And the Bible says uh, that uh, she opened her eyes. He, he said, turning to the body, he said, Tabitha, arise. And she opened her eyes. And when she saw Peter, she sat up. Then he gave her his hand and he lifted her up. And when he had called the saints and widows, he presented her alive. And it became known throughout all Joppa. And many believed in Peter. Is that what your Bible says? No. They believed on the Lord. What are you getting at, preacher? I'm getting at this. When you live your life in such a way that you boast in the cross, when you live your life in such a way that you realize it's not who we are, it's who he is. When you live your life in such a way that it's not about what we can do, but it's about what he can do. When you live your life in that such of a, such of a way, then you lift people up. You cannot lift them up if you yourself don't have the life and the strength to do so. And so I challenge you again to consider the position that Paul is describing himself in and others who boast in the cross. And here is Peter. He lifts her up and he restores her. Obviously, God is the one who has done this. And now she lives a resurrected life. And that is the life that you and I are supposed to be living. Amen. The resurrected life. The principle is taught throughout the Bible. Here Tabitha is, she did good. And good was given to her and done to her. Galatians chapter 6 verse 9, we read it a moment ago. And let us not grow weary while doing good, for in due season we shall reap if we do not lose heart. Many of us, I'm afraid we buy into the lie of the devil or, or the weakness of the flesh. And, and we tell ourselves, or we hear this and we believe it, where, where we begin to think, you know something? I've been doing good. I don't see any difference. So we quit. I don't, see, I don't see any benefit, so we give up. 
And the Bible says if you'll just keep on doing what you know you ought to be doing, good is going to come. In due season it will come. We don't quite understand the seasons of the Lord, do we? Sometimes we don't. But there's due season. There is a season for sowing and there's a season for reaping. Many of us want to sow today and reap immediately tomorrow and it doesn't work that way. There's some watering that takes place and there's some, some growing down first that takes place and then some shooting up and some reaping. So I encourage you to consider a time of sowing. Jesus said it this way, blessed are the merciful, Matthew chapter 5 verse 7, blessed are the merciful for they shall obtain mercy. You want mercy? Sow mercy. You want forgiveness? Sow what? Forgiveness. Jesus also described in Luke chapter 6 and verse 38, he said, Give and it shall be given to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over will be put into your bosom. For with the same measure that you use, it will be measured back to you. You want generosity shown toward you? Then show generosity. You want to receive generous portion? Then give generous portions. One of the reasons I... I thoroughly enjoy on occasion going to the five guys hamburger place is all those fries some of you know what I'm talking about don't you they don't only give you the fries you ordered they dump more in the bag man can I get an amen for the extra fries in the bag everybody looks for the extra fry in the bag everybody everybody there's one more it's fantastic of course there's no cholesterol in any of that stuff but I love it. Don't you love it? And the, the imagery here is that of a, of a person in the Bible days that would wear an apron to the market and, and as they got their wheat or their flour or whatever it was they were getting, uh, the, the merchant would take and as they would fold up the, the apron, the merchant would put the goods in the apron but then to be a, a generous and, and, and uh, uh, kind uh, merchant man, they would take and they would shake it just a little bit so that it would settle down and they'd pour more in and then they'd pour more in and they'd pat it down, they'd press it down and, and then they'd leave it where it was just running over just a little. God said, you want that? Then give that way. You want to reap bountifully? Then give bountifully. Because the principle is that what you sow, you will reap. So let us understand that. Number three on the list, those who boast in the cross have this philosophy when it comes to life. They are one who refuses the world. Refuses the world. Now I read to you an opening verse that I, I'm afraid we've, we've not done justice so if you'll allow me, I'd like to go back and read to you the verses just before and leading up to verse 14 again. Look at verse 11. See with what large letters I've written to you with my own hand. Now, many of you probably know that Paul the Apostle had some eyesight problems. We don't know exactly what was wrong. Some believe that um, he was nearing uh, being completely blind often he would dictate his letters and others would write them for him. But in this case, the Bible is explaining to us that Paul has written this letter and he's writing with large letters, which indicates this is evidence that he himself is writing it. And may I say, not just from his hand, but what he's saying to the Galatians is, this is coming from my heart. 
This is something that God has laid on me and it's something I'm giving to you by the power of the Holy Spirit, but this is coming from me personally, he said. And then he goes on, he said, as many as desire to make a good showing in the flesh, these would compel you to be circumcised only that they may not suffer persecution for the cross of Christ. Now let me pause a moment. Let me make an application concerning this. Because when it comes to serving God and when it comes to worship, sometimes we have a problem. It is a problem that is done away with as we learn to boast in the cross. But if we've not learned to boast in the cross, then it is a problem that we have. And the problem is we are more concerned about what other people think than we are what God thinks. And we become showy. We're performing. It's what everybody else thinks about us. We're concerned about what they think are, we may look really spiritual, but we may not be. And what matters is what God sees, not what people see. And when you boast in the cross, what you're boasting in is what he has done, not what you have done. What you're boasting in is what people think of him, not what they think of you. And yet the world cries out for us to be accepted among the world. As we keep reading, we find that the secret to this thing really does lie in boasting in the cross and in another thought that's associated with us. So follow with me, verse number 13. Uh, For not even those who are circumcised keep the law, but they desire to have, uh, have you circumcised that they may boast in your flesh. He said earlier they did this to escape the persecution of the cross. Sometimes you may feel, and young people listen carefully to what I'm about to say, you may feel like you'll be ostracized by a certain crowd if you let them know that you're a Christian that stands on the principles of the word of God. You may feel like somehow if you let it out uh, that you don't go those places and do those things because uh, you follow Christ that that they're going to call you uh, Billy Bible or Susie Christian or make fun of you. And so to avoid that persecution, you don't stand in the cross. So thank God for those of you who have said, you know what? I don't care what they think. I care more about what God thinks. And I'm going to stand for what I know I should stand for. And I'm going to find myself, my identity, in the cross of Christ. And that's very important that we reach that point. To avoid persecution? No. Paul said that's not the case. You see, he's already been persecuted. He's already been uh, treated in such a way. But, but he's done it. He, he realizes that something has happened in his life. And I want you to see it beginning in verse 14 again. But God forbid that I should boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. This is the part I want you to see. By whom the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. What does that mean? I've been crucified to the world and the world's been crucified to me. What's he saying? Earlier in this same book, Galatians chapter 2 and verse number 20, he, he records these words for us. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Well, what does that mean? I am crucified with Christ. 
He said to the church, at, uh, to the saints who were at Rome, in Romans chapter 6, he said, the old man has been crucified with Christ. Well, what does that mean? How, well, let me give it to you this way. Some of the best advice I've ever heard in my life, and I pass it on to you, whether you're young or old or whoever you are. One of the, one of the, the things we've got to come to, and I believe it, it happens when we learn to boast in the cross, and that is quit trying to live like Jesus and let Jesus live through you. That's the difference. Let him live through you. The life which I now live, I live by the life of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. That old me is no longer. I treat it as though it exists no more. Baptism is a symbol of this very thing, by the way. Also Romans chapter 6 where Paul describes all of this. It is a, after a person has trusted Christ as their Savior, it symbolizes that the old self, the old us, has died and was buried. It died with Christ on the cross and it was buried. And now we are raised in newness of life. In newness of life. We're a new creation. Paul actually says that in verse number 15. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision avails anything but a new creation. He said, I've been made new in Christ. I'm not that person anymore. I don't go to those places. I don't do those things. I don't talk that way. I don't do those. I don't watch. I don't, that's not me anymore is what he's saying. Because I boast in the cross, not in me. You don't understand. It's not what I've done. That's not the point. It's what he's done. It's what he's done. I think we have a, an issue in the world that, that we live in when it comes to this thing of being crucified with Christ. We understand that Jesus said, if you're going to follow me, let a man deny himself, take up his cross and follow me. So every now and then I hear somebody uh, say something like, uh, well, that's my cross to bear. Do you, do you understand what the cross is? Do you understand that the Romans didn't come to somebody and say, hey, I want you to pick up that cross and just tote it around for two weeks, then you've paid your dues. It was not to be drudged around, to, to be hauled around for you to find the soreness of muscles and the weight of, of that. That's not what the cross is all about. It's about a place of dying. It's a death. It's a, it's a place of, of, of horror. And when Jesus said, let a man deny himself and take up his cross, he understood that unless you deny self, you will never take up the cross. You'll never understand what Paul said when he said, I'm crucified with Christ. That I'm not that person anymore. That's not me anymore. It's not me anymore. Someone has said that you know that materialism has overtaken you when we spend money we do not have to acquire things we do not need to impress people we don't even know. Amen? Amen? Moses is a great example of what it means to refuse the world. Moses, you might recall, was brought into the home of Pharaoh. Pharaoh's daughter raised him. And then when he reached a certain point in his life, the Bible tells us in Hebrews chapter 11, that he refused to be called the son of Pharaoh, the son of Pharaoh's daughter. He was trained to be the next king of Egypt. Do you, do you understand that? Have you wrapped your mind around that? He, could, he, he was going to be the king of the most powerful nation on the planet earth during his time, Egypt. And the Bible says he chose something else. 
Hebrews chapter 11, beginning in verse 24. By faith Moses, when he became of age, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to suffer affliction with the people of God than to enjoy the passing pleasures of sin, esteeming the reproach of Christ greater riches than the treasures in Egypt, for he looked to the reward. For he looked to the reward. Young people, you know you have a choice to make. Adults, you have a choice to make. We have a choice to make. We can choose the riches and pleasures of the world or we can choose the cross of Christ. Now I know that at first glance you say, well, wait a minute. Can I do both? Well, in actuality, God can bless beyond your wildest imagination. But you cannot do both. And that is the problem that we're seeing throughout our nation today and throughout our world today. Christians who won't let go of the world. We've somehow convinced ourselves that it is okay to just carry the cross through the world instead of refusing the world in place of the cross. Now I realize that's not making much sense to some of us. But let me give it to you a different way. 1 John chapter 3 and verse number 1. I ask you to somehow study and to read and find out for yourself what you think is meant by this. 1 John chapter 3 verse 1. Behold what manner of love the Father hath bestowed on us that we should be called the children of God. Let me pause a moment. I want you to understand this. That what Jesus did on the cross of Calvary was an act of love. Can I get an aha or an amen? It was a tremendous act of love. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. I'm telling you, ladies and gentlemen, it's all about his love. He loved us so much. He said, I tell you what, you place your faith and trust and, and I will call you my children. You'll be a child of God. And then it says this. Therefore, the world does not know us because it did not know him. Are, are you okay with that? Because a lot of people aren't. A lot of people say, I want both. But you'll not find that anywhere in the scriptures. As a matter of fact, God warns us, Jesus warns us, you can't serve God and mammon, meaning materialism. You can't do both. Because you will forsake the one and cling to the other. You say, what are you saying, Pastor? I'm saying that there are Differences in those who have chosen to boast in the cross and those who simply don't even know what it means and don't care to know what it means. Last of all, let me speak with you on the subject of a person who boasts in the cross is one who rejoices in the wounds. And if you'll bear with me a moment, I'd like to address this issue beginning in verse 16. Would you look there please, verse 16? Galatians chapter 6 and verse 16. If you're there, say I'm there. I haven't lost you, have I? Okay, I'll, I'll go with the five of you that are <laughs> still with me. We'll, we'll go. Verse 16. 
And as many as walk according to this rule, what's he saying? As many as walk according to this rule, as many who have understood what it means to boast only in the cross of Christ, as many of you who have caught this thing, as many of you have, have, have grasped this, if this is going to be your philosophy of life, then listen carefully to what he says. Peace and mercy be upon them and upon the Israel of God. From now on, let no one trouble me, for I bear in my body the marks of the Lord Jesus. Do you see that? I bear in my body the marks of the Lord Jesus. I got to tell you, I was arrested by that statement uh, in my study. I'm looking at that and I'm wondering, God, what exactly does he mean? I studied it out. I know what the Greek word marks is in this text, but, but I also understand what Paul himself testifies of. He, he tells us things such as in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, beginning in verse 23, are they ministers of Christ? I speak as a fool. I am more in labors, more abundant. In stripes above measure, in prisons more frequently, in deaths often. From the Jews five times I received 40 stripes minus one. Can you imagine that? Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day have I been in the deep. In journeys often. In perils of water. In perils of robbers. In perils of my own countrymen. In perils of the Gentiles. In perils in the city. In perils in the wilderness. In perils in the sea. In perils among false brethren. In weariness and toil. In sleeplessness often. In hunger and thirst. In fastings often. In cold and nakedness. Besides the other things which come upon me daily my deep concern for all of the churches he said I've been through physical scars I have physical scars but I also have mental stress he said I have marks of the Lord Jesus you know why he went through all those things listen to me because he was a follower of Christ you say it sounds a little like preacher you don't want us to be followers of Christ With all my heart, I want us to be followers of Christ who are dedicated to following Christ. Amen. Committed as he was committed. But you know what that means, ladies and gentlemen? I don't want you to leave here with a, a false view. It means scars. It means marks. Some of them you will see and others you will not. You ever talked with people about your scars, maybe in a conversation? You know, this one's when I jumped off the garage and this one's playing football out in the yard and tried to hurdle that cedar bush and didn't make it. I have one in the top of my head. Hopefully you cannot see, but it's there. Sometimes it bothers me when I try to comb my hair a certain way. When I was a little kid, my brother and his friend, thank God for older brothers. Can I get an uh-huh? Remember Daniel Boone? How do you remember Daniel Boone? The TV show? Oh, man. Good show. Great show. They don't make him like that? No, all right. Anyway. Remember he'd come on the show. Those of you that remember the show, some of you have no idea. He'd take a hatchet and he'd split the tree. Bring back old memories now, aren't I? We were playing next door in a garage half built. And they had an old beam laying out there. It was about a, I think it was about a six inch by four inch beam. Goes in the top of a house. And they'd stood it up. One of them got up on the half garage and the other one was throwing the stick, which was our make-believe hatchet. They told me to get out of the way. Well, I'm like some of you. I didn't listen. Amen. I'm sorry, some of you. I didn't listen. 
they think they listened. <laughs> anyway, I, uh, I saw that thing coming down, man. They threw the stick and here come the thing just coming right down. I tried to get out of the way, but there was a fence right behind me. And for years, you could see the indentation in that fence where I tried to get through it. <laughs> I put my head down and boom, right on the top of the head. And I know what some of you are thinking now. That is what's wrong with our pastor. <laughs> we knew there was a head injury somewhere. I remember blood streaming down. I mean, I remember it like it was yesterday. I was a little bitty thing, but I remember blood everywhere. I remember being taken by the elbows by my brother and his friend who did it. <laughs> down the hospital, they're stitching up my head. And there's a scar. You cannot see it, but it's there. You say, what are you getting at? Every scar has a story. This phrase, the marks of the Lord Jesus... Whether Paul was talking about the physical scars or the emotional scars, what he was saying was, these are the markings that indicate I am a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now I want you to hear me. Some have said these are the, this is the phrase used by a, a branding on a servant to say who the owner is. And what he's saying is, when people look at me, my life tells a story. And that life is, I'm a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ. I want you to hear me now. Because every one of your scars, whether physical or emotional, they are to be used to tell your story. And your story ought to be, hear me, your story ought to be, let me tell you how God brought me through it. Let me tell you what he did for me. Because I do not boast in what I have done. I boast in what he did for me. So let me help you. He saw me through it. He'll see you through it. Tell the stories of the scars. One day we'll gather around the throne. And our Savior, he'll tell the story of his scars. Someone has said the scars of Jesus are the only thing man made in heaven. And he'll say, you know, this one, this one was for you. As a matter of fact, so was this one and so were these. And the scar in my side, for you. And we're here in heaven because of what happened that day on the cross. So I ask you, what will your prayer be like today? Will it be one that says, God, help me to find the wanderer. I want to help them up. I want to lift them up. Will it be one that says, you know, God, I've struggled with the world and the things of the world, and I need your help. I choose you. I choose you. Will it be one that you say, God, I want you to help me with this thing of my scars because while I have resented them, I should be rejoicing in them because they tell a story. And the story they tell is one of your faithfulness and one that others can learn from how you can help them get through the same stuff.